You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Well, hey, Resonate, so good to see you again. My name is Chris. As you can recall, over the last few weeks, we've been going through a series about the importance of friendships. We started off by talking about how God defines friendships, His personal understanding that He gives unto us of how we should see and view friendships, their importance in your life and in my life as a human. Uh, We moved on to talking about why it's so critical that we don't shortcut friendships and just walk in individualism, but instead we do the hard work of choosing community over individualism. Uh, Then we walked into this understanding that when conflict arises in friendships, the easiest thing would be to cancel. The easiest thing would be to exit the friendship. But God's design for our friendships is not that we exit or that we cancel, but in fact that we reconcile, that we come to a place where we can conflict and still move forward together, and that we are united by the fact that God has brought us together as friends. And today, we will be walking into this understanding of how God's friendship towards us informs our friendship towards others. Really, the foundation of this whole thing is that God offers friendship to us, and that is the foundation of how we operate towards others. So as I've been thinking about the great honor to talk about what it's like to be a friend of God, and what friendship with Jesus actually looks like, I've been so excited to just talk to you about Jesus. I've been so excited at the thought that I get to share with you the very things that I've come to know and love about Jesus himself. So as we talked in the last uh, few times that we were together, you know that there's no good news in the statistics around friendships today. If you end up like the average American, then you will be lonely for the rest of your life. And that's unfortunate. There's no good news to be found in that. But the good news is that Jesus has created a way for that to not have to be the case, that he desires for you to not live into that same sort of statistic, and that his plan for your life is significantly different. Luckily, even though there's not good news in the statistics, there is good news to be found in the way of Jesus. So I want to ask you maybe just a simple question today, and that question is of utmost importance of your friendships and to your friendships relating to them. And that question is this, what do you think about when you think about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? That's the question. You might go, hey, actually, that doesn't, I didn't quite compute. You said, you're gonna ask me a question about my friendships and then you ask me a question about Jesus. I don't see how those two things connect. Let me double down here and just say, the significant question in your life around your friendships is what do you think about Jesus? And the reason why we're going there today is because I believe uh, that the thoughts that you have about God himself completely inform the way that you interact with your community, completely inform the way that you interact with your friends. And so we're going to go to a place in scripture where Jesus explains what it feels like to be known by him. 
where Jesus personally explains what it is like to interact with him. What is he like and how should we think about him? So would you turn to John chapter 15? We're gonna go there together, spend the majority of our time there today in John chapter 15, verses nine through 13. As you turn there, I wanna share with you a simple quote that I heard that totally wrecked me. This is a quote by a man who has been long dead and he wrote something about my interactions with God that have totally shaped the way that I see him and the way that I interact with my friends. And the quote is by a man named A.W. Tozer. The quote is this, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What you think about God, Tozer says, matters immensely. The way that you view him, the way that you feel, the thoughts and the emotions that play inside of you when you think about God are of the utmost importance in your life. They're not just very important, they're the most important important. Some of you think very little about Jesus, and you think very little of Jesus. When his name comes up, it doesn't spark anything inside of you. There's not a thought that's continually pressing day in and day out about who God is and who Jesus is. Others of you think very highly of Jesus, and you think very often about Jesus. You meditate on him and who he is. You think fond thoughts and your emotions are sparked and your logic comes together and it aligns in, in a, a pattern that is uh, totally evidential of the fact that you not only know about him, but you actually love him. Wherever you find yourself today, um, as you engage in this scripture and you engage in this sermon, I wanna let you know that you don't have to be a biblical scholar in order to understand the significance of Jesus. You don't have to be a Christian in order to know his importance. In fact, I would say that you could even think the entire Bible is phony. You could think the whole thing is made up and has no cultural relevance today or spiritual relevance at all for anybody and still hold fast to the fact that Jesus is the most significant person who has ever lived. You don't have to be a Christian in order to think that. You go, how is that even possible? Like, how, how can those thoughts even come into my mind unless I actually see this man as God? I want to give you four ways today that you can say, hey, objectively, hey, without emotion connected to this, the person of Jesus is the most important figure who has ever graced the earth. The first way is this, uh, that secular news would in fact give uh, an ascribe worth to Jesus as a prominent human figure. Jesus is Time Magazine's number one most important person of all time, most influential person of all time. Time Magazine is a secular news outlet. Every single year they run these reports where they say, who's the most important person on the earth this year? Who's the most influential individuals alive this year? And every so often they'll do it kind of a grand scheme. And not long ago they did this meta, this meta understanding of all of history and said, hey, we're not just worried about who the most influential figure of 2021 is. We want to know who the most influential person ever is. There's been 105 billion people estimated born since humans started walking on the earth. And Time Magazine says number one 
is Jesus. The most important, influential figure to ever walk the earth is Jesus. Number two, Jesus is the motivation for what I would say are the most significant, positively world-changing individuals in the 20th century. He's the motivation for the people who have had the most significant positive change on the world in the 20th century. We'll just do kind of a show of hands right now, wherever you're at, if you're in a room with people, even if you're by yourself, maybe just do this uh, in your own heart, but just show of hands, would you raise your hand if you believe that poor and sick people deserve to be treated with basic human dignity? Just raise your hand if you believe poor and sick people deserve to be treated with basic human dignity. Okay, if your hand is in the air, if you agree with that statement that I would say, so did a woman named Mother Teresa. You might have seen Mother Teresa, heard about Mother Teresa, this saintly type of person. She was a nun in Calcutta, India, and she gave her entire life to interacting with and loving with and providing care for sick individuals with a degenerative skin disease that was contagious called leprosy. And she gave her entire life to this. And she became known as this very public figure, uh, a personification of love on earth is this woman, Mother Teresa. And what's so interesting is she did what she did because she was motivated by the teachings and the person of Jesus. Jesus was her motivation. She actually said this in a quote. She said, God is love. And when we love we are like God. This is what Jesus meant when he said, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. So she saw something in Jesus that was so important that it changed the way that she lived her life and it affected the world in a positive way. Would you raise your hand if right now you believe that minorities in America should be treated with equality? and that racism deserves no place in our world. Would you just raise your hand if you agree with that statement? If your hand is raised, then you would agree with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the most significant civil rights activist of the 20th century. You would, you would agree with him in the fact that that has no place in our world. There should be no room for one race to find themselves superior to another. There should be no room for one group of people to look down on other people simply because of where they come from or their skin tone. What's so interesting about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is he did what he did because he was motivated by the person of Jesus. Jesus impacted him personally in such a way that he said, what I see wrong in the world today cannot stand. It has no place. Dr. Martin Luther King said this, segregation is a blatant denial of the unity which we all have in Christ Jesus. So Dr. Martin Luther King saw something in Jesus so significant that he said, if I mimic it, the world will change for the better. And he did. Would you raise your hand right now if you believe that nonviolence and that acts of love can actually overturn entire corrupt political groups and entire nations and political systems can be positively impacted, even third world countries, by nonviolent acts of love. You raise your hand if you believe that. Well, if your hand is raised or if you agree with that, you would agree with a person named Mahatma Gandhi. Now, what's so interesting about Gandhi is that he did not ascribe that Jesus was God. He was not a Christian. 
And so he didn't actually know the true God. He didn't have a relationship with the true God. But he was so impacted by the life of Jesus that he was motivated by the leadership methods of who Jesus was and what Gandhi did was so world-changingly different that the entire world took notice and he changed the world for the positive. And he said this about Jesus. He said, Jesus occupies in my heart the place of one of the greatest teachers to have had a considerable influence on my life. He says this, which is so striking to me. I should say that Hindus, that, if, uh, that your life will be incomplete unless you reverentially study the teachings of Jesus. And here's a man who did not see Jesus as Lord, but took Jesus's example, and in many ways totally missed what Jesus was doing, but in many ways took after an example of Jesus, and simply by doing some of the things, some of the things that Jesus did, he changed the world for the positive. So it seems as if when people study Jesus, truly they find themselves contributing to the positive in the world. And for that reason, we could say that Jesus is the, motiva the motivation for the most significant and positively cha world-changing individuals of the 21st century, the 20th century. The third thing I would say is this, that Jesus is the founder and the leader of the largest movement that the world has ever seen. Christianity is the largest movement that the world has ever seen. You know what movement is, right? Movement is not just motion. It's not just when people run and when people take activity. Movement in this sense is when somebody starts something here and it gets so uh, believed and caught on that they pass it to somebody here. And this person believes it and they pass it to somebody here and they pass it to somebody here. So that at some point in time, the person over here who's engaging in that activity or that belief system has no connection spatially or geographically or even in a time sense historically to the person who started it. And the prime example, the best example of movement that we see that we've ever seen in the world is the movement of Christianity. Now Jesus never traveled more than a hundred miles from his home. And he lived in a time where there was no internet, no electricity, no reputable uh, understandings of how journalism is supposed to work. He did something so significant that it transformed the world in that time period, in the first century, and it worked its way through the dark ages in the 11th century, worked its way through the, uh, the, the Reformation and the Renaissance in the 18th century. It worked its way uh, all the way into the Industrial Revolution, and we find ourselves today on the other side of that benefiting from the work that Jesus did thousands of years ago. It worked its way from Jerusalem, a tiny, small city in the world, and it worked its way to Asia. It moved its way north to Europe, moved its way south to Africa, and finally west to where we find ourselves today. The movement that Jesus started is so significant. There's never been another movement like the people who believe in Jesus. The Washington Post reports this, that although what it looks like in America today is that the world is becoming less religious. It says this, the world is becoming more religious, not less. And today, the Christian community in Latin America and Africa alone account for one billion people. One billion people just in Latin America and in Africa in the face of danger and near genocide levels in the early days of Christianity, his followers took what he taught them and they transferred it to others. And that thing didn't die in the water when his followers were being killed. But what happened was it went out, it continued to grow. 
And what we see today is the effect of a movement that started thousands of years ago. So Jesus is the most influential person who's ever lived. The fourth thing and the final thing I'll say about this is that Jesus is the main character in the, the, most, the best-selling book that's ever been written in the Bible. Not only is the Bible the best-selling book of all time, but the Bible is the best-selling book of the year every single year. This year, the best-selling book in the world is the Bible. The New, York, uh, the, the New Yorker published this, that uh, calculating how many Bibles are sold in the U.S. is virtually impossible, but conservative estimates believe somewhere around 25 million Bibles were purchased in 2005. And uh, Guinness Book of World Records would say this, that the entire Bible has been translated into 349 languages, and that 20, uh, 2,123 languages have at least one book of the Bible in that language. The entire Bible is about Jesus. He's the main character in the best-selling book of all time. The entire Old Testament is about a group of people who are yearning for a savior. They are craving for the world to be turned right again. And there's a promise given to the world in the Old Testament that one day there will be someone who makes all things right. That's what the Old Testament of the Bible is about, foreshadowing the coming of Jesus. In the New Testament, he shows up, and bio biographical books about his life are, are, are written, firsthand accounts of what he did, his life's work, and the legacy that he left. So I don't just desire for you to understand the fact that Jesus is so influential in history. I desire for you to consider him. I desire for you to go beyond just seeing the facts of who he was historically and his impact on the world today. I desire for you to move into a space where you consider his impact on you, where you sit, in your city, on your chair, in your couch. Would you consider that maybe Jesus is not just a historical figure who changed the way that science is approached and medicine is approached and politics can be approached and societies can be approached. Could you possibly consider the fact that he desires to have an impact directly on your soul? Something I would love for you and I've been praying that you would consider today. Could you grasp the influence the fact that there's a potential that he would desire to have influence on you. And this is how. Jesus wants to call you a friend. Jesus wants to call you a friend. It's possible to know all the facts about Jesus. And many people do. But what's so interesting is that he would not desire for you to fall short of friendship with him. He would actually say, there's such a thing as knowing him more deeply than just the facts about him. He offers something deeper than just knowledge and statistics about who he was and what he did and the effects that he has. He offers something deeper called friendship. And this is what we see in John chapter 15. Would you go there with me? Verses 9 through 13. In verse 9, he says this. These are the words of Jesus, the most influential person of all time written in the best-selling book of all time. This is what Jesus says. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. 
I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then he says this, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. I'd love for us to look a little bit deeper at these few verses so that we can grasp and understand what it looks like and feels like to be a friend of Jesus. We'll start in verse 9 here. He says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. This is what Jesus is articulating, that Jesus loves you with all of the love that God the Father loves God the Son. That simple fact is absolutely mind-blowing, guys. It's, it's unbelievable. It might be that you often ask the question, how much can God love me? Is it possible that God would love me? It could be that that's a, a common question that comes into your mind. How much does God love me? What Jesus says here in verse nine is that's the wrong question. The question the better question, the more accurate question is this, how much does God the Father love Jesus? And if you can wrap your mind around that divine love, that eternal love, that never ending love, that immeasurable love that the Father would love the Son, if you can even begin to imagine the scope of that love, then apply that love to you. The better question than asking, how much can God love me is this. How much could God possibly love Jesus? Because Jesus says here, that's how I love you. That's the extent of God's love to you. Everything that he loves me with, I love you with. The way that he has pursued me and loves me and lives with me, that is how I love you. That's crazy. That's crazy. If you're a Christian, this simple verse should floor you. The fact that Jesus sees you in this way. Now he would pass along love to you. He would love you the way that God does. This is absolutely crazy. A, a perfect and a divine and an eternal love. The magnitude with which the Father loves the Son is the magnitude with which Jesus loves you. Can you even begin to imagine this? Verse 10 says this, If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Here's what Jesus is saying, that Jesus' love is experienced most fully when we listen and when we obey what He says. Listening to Jesus and obeying what He says is what paves the way for you to experience His love. Now guys, I, I get this, that right now it's not popular to talk about obedience. It's not popular right now to talk about submission. It's not popular right now in our world to talk about authority, where you have one individual who makes commands and calls for obedience for other individuals. That's not popular right now. We like rage against the machine. We like rebelling against the system. We like smashing the patriarchy. And I understand all of these things. I understand how unpopular it is to say that one person has the knowledge and the wisdom and the place to tell another person to obey. But I think the reason why you and I have a gut reaction against this is because we've only experienced fallen and broken and 
evil forms of leadership. We have never experienced what it's like to have a divine God who is all-powerful and all-benevolent, all-good. We've never experienced what it's like to live within that. And so when we try to apply our current world circumstances to the way that we operate with God, it just doesn't work. It doesn't seem like it's possible. What Jesus says here is so crazy. He says this, that when you obey me and you listen to me, you will experience my love. His obedience, the obedience to Jesus is not a suppressive love. It is a love that frees you. It opens you up to be who you were designed to be. And I would say you will never experience God's love ever. You will never experience God's love without the understanding that listening and obedience to Jesus is what unlocks that for you. He goes on to say this in verse 11. He says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Here's what Jesus is saying. True joy is found in following Jesus and Jesus wants you to know that. Jesus desires for this to be good news that you hear. He's not trying to keep this thought from you. He's doing everything when it comes to pursuit to put himself in your way as you live. Some of you, just by crazy circumstances, have come to go to college on a university campus where randomly there's a church there that meets on campus that desires to accelerate you in your understanding of Jesus. And I think you should make that connection that God put that group of people in your path He wants you to know how to live in a life that is full of joy, the fullness of joy, complete joy. He doesn't mask himself to you. He is attempting to expose all of his love, all of his goodness to you. That's why when you meet individuals who know Jesus and have interacted with you, it feels like such a divine thing, such a blessing, such a random occurrence, or maybe an accident. But I'll say there's no accident here. That God in himself wants you to know who he is. He wants you to experience joy so much so that he would put people in front of you. He wants to expose himself to you in this way. Several, several years ago, I was working at a Starbucks at a coffee shop. And as I was working, I saw somebody walk by me and I realized that they were an exchange student. They were a foreign exchange student at the university that I was at. And we started talking in conversation, turns out he's from China. And we had some commonality because I had spent some time in East Asia. I love the nation that he was from. And as I started asking him questions, I realized um, he had been on this campus for five years. So I thought, wow, that's almost longer than, that's longer than I've been on this campus. So man, tell me about your friends here. How many, uh, how many, how many friends do you have? He said, I don't really have any friends here. I was like, oh, that, that's a bummer. And we continue talking and come to realize that he's a professional musician. He plays the viola in an orchestra. And I was like, wow, I've never met, you know, a professional musician in real life. So I'm kind of like starstruck right now that we could, I could hear you play sometime. And he was like, so down. So I asked him like, hey, when was the last time like you were over uh, an American's house for dinner, like for, for um, you know, for a meal? And he said, I've never been invited to the house of an American. I've been here for five years. And... 
So I was like, okay, that, that ends this week. Like, you're coming over. You're going to come over and we're going to hang out. And so I invite some of the guys from my village and some of the guys from my huddle. Um, and we invite this guy whose name is Zin, uh, the, the, the Chinese exchange student. Zin comes into my living room and he like brings this very fancy tea that he purchased uh, in China. And he like purchased it just for special occasions and he like broke it out in our living room. It's like a Thursday night. Like this is a normal, like this is just such a normal day for me. And you're like bringing your good tea. Uh, And it was good, it was really good. And he brought his viola and he like put on a concert in our living room. It was like the most beautiful thing I'd ever experienced. I'm like having to hold back tears, like me and two random dudes from my village and my huddle. So uh, the guys leave and um, Zen continues to stay over. And, uh, and we cook him dinner. And as we're sitting at the table about to eat, I realize the food that we've cooked for him, he's never eaten before. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, this is, a little, this is a little strange and awkward. And then I realize that in our house, before we eat, eat a meal, uh, we pray. And I start to connect the dots. Okay, he doesn't have any American friends. He's never been in American's home. He has no idea what I'm about to do. He has no idea what is about to happen at the dinner table. And so I'm like, okay, I have to explain to him now what I'm about to do. So I'm like, I make eyes to my wife, Tannis. I'm like, all right, we'll see how this goes. Let's try to explain this. So I start off, I'm like, okay, um, Zin, um, have you heard of Jesus? He says, no. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right. Um, have you heard of God? He says, I think so. He's big. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's big. He's big. Uh, okay, so how do we go from here? So then I say, um, okay, God, I know God. I know him. And he goes, Oh, <laughs> I'm like, okay, we're getting somewhere. Um, and God gave me all this food. He gave it to me and he gave me this, the table and the chair and like this whole house, he gave it to me. And he goes, oh, <laughs> and then I finally go. And um, I talk to him every single day. I talk to God every day. And he goes, oh, <laughs> it's like such a crazy moment. And in that moment, I ste- almost step back from the table. And I'm like, how absurd. How absurd is it that I get to talk to the God of the universe every single day? How, how wild is that? Like, imagine you're Zen. Imagine you're listening to me explain that. I know God. He's probably going, you can't do that. That's not allowed. He doesn't just give you stuff. He's big. He doesn't just put this stuff on the table for you. You don't just talk to him all day. He doesn't listen to you. And the fact that I get to know God is unbelievable. It's something that I take for granted so often, but I shouldn't. And you shouldn't. The fact that God himself extends his friendship to you to say, I know who you are. I know how broken you are. I know how sinful you are. And I want to talk to you every day. I want to bless you with the stuff that I have. 
I want to give to you joy. I want you to know me. I want you to abide in me. How absurd is that? How unreal of a fact that is. That's what we live with, the reality that God doesn't just want us to know about him. He desires to enter into our lives, to be close with us. This is what we find in verse 13. Jesus says this, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. This is what Jesus says. He proves his perfection. He proves his perfect friendship by paying the ultimate price. So what is Jesus like? He did the thing for you that is the ultimate act of friendship. That's what Jesus is like. Nothing greater can be done in a friendship than for one individual to lay down their life for another individual, to sacrifice yourself for the sake of another. And you see what he's doing here. He's foreshadowing what he is going to do on the cross. When he says this thing to his disciples, he's foreshadowing, hey, there's nothing greater you could do for a friend than to die for your friend. And then not long later, Jesus is gonna go die for his friends. He exposes the greatest act of love, the greatest act of friendship, that you can be united in a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. This is unreal. Now, I'll admit this, when I was growing up, I didn't understand the significance of the cross. I didn't understand what happened on the cross. I would wear a necklace with a cross pendant on it, almost like a doggy tag. Like when I die, there's like some cosmic pound up there and they're just gonna sort through people and be like, well, who does this one belong to? He's got, the, he's got the cross, so I guess he belongs to God. I had no idea what this thing meant, but it wasn't, it wasn't until I was 17 years old where someone invited me to start reading the Bible. Somebody a little bit older than me invited me to start reading the Bible. And I read some verses not, not dissimilar from these verses right here. What I started to understand was this simple fact. I knew that I could recognize the friendship of God. I knew that I could recognize the reality. Something was happening inside of me and around me that I couldn't kickstart. I didn't have the possibility of fooling myself into thinking that God being so loving and so good could interact with me so unloving and so bad and that we could be friends. I knew as I was reading the Bible, this doesn't compute. There has to be something that links us. There has to be something in between. There's gotta be some way that God can look at my terrible life and link himself to his perfect life. What I realized is this is what Jesus did on the cross. I began to realize as I read scripture that this is a, a, a grand expectation for God's friendships. He's got a God level expectation for his friendships, that he has standards for his friendships. And little sinful you and little sinful me, we can't just be friends with him. We need something to get us there. We need something to gift us and to change us from our darkness and our sin and our dirtiness and to create us and recreate us into uh, righteous people. And I, I knew that I couldn't do that for myself. And when I fell in love with Jesus was when I found out that he is in the business of taking people who have no business being friends with God and linking them to God. And the way that he does that is by gifting his perfection to you. 
He gives his righteousness to you. He gives his goodness and his benevolence to you. And he takes from you the darkness, takes from you the sin, takes from you the evil, and dies as a penalty for those things. The greatest act of friendship, the exchange of your wickedness for his righteousness so that you can be friends. So that you can be friends. When God looks at you, when you're in Christ, he sees a man or a woman that's been exchanged for. He sees a man or a woman who's been changed and transformed for by his goodness and by his love. And this is what Jesus does for you. So as we finish, I want to say this. I know that some of you hear this. And you just go, man, that's, there's, that's a fairy tale. There's no way. I know that some of you hear this. You go, that's just, that's just phony. I want you to know that I'm not afraid of you thinking that. In fact, there's a part of me that actually goes, hey, that's, you're on the right track if you mistake this for being so good that it's hard to believe. If you hear this and you go, there's no way, that must be a fairy tale. I want you to know it's that good. I'm not afraid of the fact that your heart might long for it. In fact, I would actually press you and ask you this, even if you don't believe it, and if you don't know this yet, can you get to a place in your heart where you recognize, hey, I don't know if I believe this, but oh, how I wish it was true. I'm not sure if I can get on board with this yet. I don't know all the facts. I don't know all the history. I don't know all the lingo, but how I wish that I could have a friend like Jesus who would lay down his life for me, who would take away my darkness, take away my sin, take away my evil and give me goodness. How I wish I could know God. And if you're a Christian, I want to just prompt you to talk about Jesus and share Jesus with your friends in such a way that they go, even if I don't believe this, I wish it could be true for me. And if that's where you find yourself today, I would say God's already working in your heart. He's already working in your heart. I want to pray to that end, that when you think thoughts about God, you would recognize how important those thoughts are and that you would, by His grace, be transferred into right belief about who He is and a willingness to His friendship. That's what He offers you. That's what I'll pray for you right now. Father, thank You for the fact that You are good. Thank You that You're loving Thank you that you're benevolent, that you are all powerful, and you are not a domineering, evil tyrant, God. Thank you that you love and you lead and that we can find ourselves in you. Thank you for your friendship, Lord. I pray that as people listen, God, that they would be conscious of the way they think about you. And Lord, for those, of, those people who are listening now who can't believe this because it's too fantastic Lord, I pray that you would begin to link those things in their hearts and they would see you for who you are. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting resonate.net.